One night, while rooting through the recycling bin for magazines, Jesse Reckloff found all the confidential Ph.D. applicant files for a biology department at an Ivy League university from the years 1965 to 1975. What a find. Stapled to many of the, uh, the applications were uh, photographs of the prospective students, along with the recommendation forms providing comments on each of the candidates' relative strengths and weaknesses. But the comments weren't the usual comments, like low aptitude or uh, high test scores or things of that nature. Instead, the comments were as follows. For example, one female applicant is penalized for being, quote, not as physically attractive as some, end quote. While male applicants, for example, were criticized for questioning authority. Well, now Jesse Recklaw has edited these files and compiled them into his new book, simply titled Applicant. Coming up at the half hour of the program, we will speak with Jesse Recklaw, how he found these files, why he decided to put them together, and uh, what some of the concerns were about the identities of the people, and uh, what the ultimate objective was in pointing out to people that uh, such uh, application procedures actually took place at a, uh, a major Ivy League university. Maybe we could get him to leak the name of the Ivy League university, though uh, something tells me that for legal reasons he, he won't be doing that. But uh, Jesse Recklaw you might also recognize as the, uh, the artist behind the slow wave comic strip. So uh, more on that later. It's going to be a great program. Jesse Recklaw has been drawing the self-syndicated weekly comic strip slow wave since 1995. It's currently printed by 10 newspapers around the United States and online at slow wave with two W's. Dot com, a collection of uh, slow wave strips called Dream Tunes was published in 2000 by uh, Shambhala Publications. And if you haven't seen Slow Wave, you've you got to check it out. It's really, really cool. It, uh, they're dream sequences. Uh, his website calls for people to submit descriptions of their dreams as well as the settings and the people within them. And uh, the comic strip is a, uh, well, well, we'll let him tell us more, but a, uh, a snapshot of those, uh, of those dreams. And uh, it's really, really cool. Uh, Jesse's zine applicant containing found application forms and photos circulated in the underground for eight years and was published by Microcosm Publishing in 2006. Uh, it just came to my attention last week while I was uh, rummaging through uh, a bookstore in New York City. Jesse is currently working on a comics memoir, one chapter of which was published in the 2006 Best American Comics by Houghton Mifflin. And uh, Jesse Recklaw joins us this morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for getting up uh, kind of early. <laughs> How uh, You're in Oregon, is that right? Yes. What's uh, How's the weather up there? Uh, it's a great day today, which I'm not so happy about because that means I have to mow the lawn today. Well, we'll uh, we'll try to let you uh, wake up a little bit by not asking you too tough questions. But okay. uh, it's it's a great book for uh, for people who want to just get a sense of some of the pictures. Uh, they could log on if they're listening. Log on to KUCITalk.org, and uh, there's at least 
one or two photos from the book posted there so people know what we're talking about. Uh, in the intro to the book, you mentioned that you found these, these applications. Were you dumpster diving? Um, yeah, more or less. <laughs> what, uh, what brought that about? Um, well, there's awesome stuff in dumpsters. Uh, I, let's see, I'm trying to remember the chronology here. I think I'd recently dropped out of grad school, and I had some free time, um, and I was doing uh, different collage projects, I think, um, and I passed by these great big uh, uh, paper recycling bins every night when I went up to where my girlfriend was uh, still in grad school and brought her dinner in her lab, um, and there was always great stuff in there. I mean, there were huge bins, and one day I opened it up, and I just saw, like, stacks and stacks of all these manila folders, and they were um, wrapped in rubber bands. And initially, and I think this is what, what granted me the, the right to use this stuff, is I had such good karma, I thought, those rubber bands aren't recyclable. That's going to mess things up. So I started to take the stuff out of the bins, and that's when I realized what they were. Now, you were a, a former grad student. Yeah. So certainly seeing these things must have been, uh, you know, as, as someone who's gone through the application process, yeah. it must have been quite, uh, quite revealing. Uh, you know, I have to confess that, uh, you know, I am a, a, a tenure-track faculty right. at uh, one of the Cal State schools, and I sit on, I don't sit on the, the board of uh, undergrads, but I do sit on, on some of the faculty search committees, and uh, I know that we can't include uh, any information about race or uh, photographs or things of that nature. So it's it's pretty right. interesting to see how uh, how, how things, things have to be. right. So what years yeah. were these applications from? Um, they were from '65 to '75. And when you realized, how did you discover that there were not only recommendations but that? Well, tell us more about uh, okay. discovering that. <laughs> well, I I pulled the first couple folders out of there, and then I noticed there were, like, slits of carbon in there, and then I noticed there were photographs, and I was like, okay, I definitely have to take this stuff out of here because I know carbon and photographs aren't recyclable. Um, and, but I just loved the photographs at first. I mean, uh, my parents were, you know, probably about that age when they were in their early 20s. They were, you know, hippies in the 60s, and... Um, there's just something about that era that just really resonates with me, and you know I love the fashions and the styles, and just even the the look of those old black and white photos that are kind of on yellowed photo paper. Uh, so I just started taking all the the photos out first. I was like rip, ripping them off the applications, and then I was like, wait, what are these things? <laughs> and then I read through you know the first couple pages, and and uh, it was pretty obvious. You know, I mean, we've all gone through application processes. I, I knew what they were at that point, um, and so then I just went. I, I think I went and uh, I can't remember. I probably went and got a backpack. Maybe I got a friend to help me and uh, hauled all the stuff out of there. It was. It ended up being about a four foot high stack of paper. And at what point did you discover the? Uh, I mean, they didn't have the little yellow post-it notes at at the time. No. Uh, so how? How did you discover the, um, were, they, were they complete, I mean, you said there were rubber bands, so obviously yeah. the, the, the comments were affixed to the photos or affixed to the files so with the, which the photos were also affixed? Um, the, I didn't do much research into it, but from what I gathered was that they had done a purging in their offices. These were the complete files for these graduate students that, that did finish um, 
as far as I could tell, I don't think there were any in the stack that didn't finish. But these were, you know, the confidential files owned by the university. Everything about the student's academic history, it was their application form and their letters of recommendation and then their entire academic history with, you know, any disciplinary action that might have happened, um, any notes that they may have sent to the department. Uh, it was all in there. Um, probably with each student, it was anywhere from, I don't know, 20 to 60 pages. And so these are students that were nevertheless accepted? Yeah, accepted, and as far as I could tell, they all graduated. They got a, a Ph.D. in biology. And it's also funny that, uh, you know, every, every major uh, office setting now has a, um, a, a pretty industrial-sized paper shredder, and it's yeah. very interesting <laughs> that... Uh, that I, knew, I knew at the time, uh, because like I mentioned, my girlfriend was in uh, a, a similar program at the same university, and they had just merged two departments. And just I fantasized this, but I was just theorizing, you know, they merged these two departments, they probably had some cutbacks because they were like, well, we don't need a secretary in biochemistry and a secretary in biology, so they prob maybe they laid someone off, and that person was like, well, screw you then, I'm not going to, you know, do a good job on my last week, I'm just going to... I'm not going to shred this stuff. I'm just going to throw it in the dumpster. You know, I think I want to remind listeners, by the way, they're in tune to KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, KUCI.org on the Internet. This is Justice or Just Us. We're speaking with Jesse Recklaw. He's the editor of the book uh, Applicant, as well as the creator of the uh, Slow Wave comic strip, which I want to get to uh, in a couple minutes. But um, one of the things that's so great about... Uh, about the book is that, it, as you say, it really does lend itself to a lot of um, speculation or fantasizing. You know, yeah. <laughs> wh who were these people? Where are they now? And uh, you know, right. which one of them discovered the cure for the cooties or whatever <laughs> it, whatever it might be? Well, let's um, before we, we we actually take a look at some of the photos or or try to describe some of them. Um, so uh, you certainly can't tell us, probably for legal reasons, which uh, Ivy League university this is. Is that no? That'd probably be smart if I didn't. <laughs> okay. Um, now, when what brought about the idea to uh, to get these published? You mentioned that it was certainly circ circulating in the underground. What yeah. uh, what brought about the idea to get them published? Um, I had been making zines. Should I explain what those are? Um, I'm sure listeners here probably know, okay. but go right. give a brief... Uh, uh, generally, an underground, um, uh, mostly handmade and photocopied publication um, that sort of deals with, you know, could be someone's diary or just more personal issues. It's all usually controlled and edited and written and distributed and published by one person. Uh, so it's one person's vision. Like Comet Bus or something. Yeah, like Comet Bus or Dishwasher or something. Um, so I'd been reading those, and um, I'm mostly a cartoonist, so I'd been making my own comics for, you know, I don't know, like 10 years at the point. Um, I'd never made a zine before, and uh, I'd been getting more and more into zines, and I thought it'd be cool to make one, and then I found this stuff, and it just, I don't know, right, right time, I was like, well, i got to publish this. <laughs> and did you, you approached publishers, or they sought you out? No, I, yeah, I made it first myself. Um, I, you know, just photocopied. Uh, you know, I, I laid the whole thing out in Quark or something like that, some desktop publishing program, and uh, photocopied and made it myself and traded with other people and sold some at, you know, cool bookstores that carry independent stuff. 
Now, I don't know if you have a copy of the book in front of you. Yeah, I brought one out just in case. Great. Um, what are some of your, your favorite, um, uh, favorite so hard to pick favorite photos and, and descriptions? Or just if you could just give, maybe give a, a photo description or a, give a description of a couple right. of the photos and then read the comments underneath them if, okay. for our well, listeners. I like the one I put at the end because it reminds me a little bit of my dad. He's, um, I mean, the best part about this, too, is um, these were photos that these these people, you know, these young, brilliant people attached to their applications, you know, to represent themselves. And this looks to be a photo booth picture of, of this guy wearing, you know, an old sweater, and his hair is like uh, neck length, and it's all unkempt and kind of dirty and lopsided, and he's got this scraggly beard, and <clears throat> his cheeks are unshaven. And that's the, you know, photo he decided to submit uh, to represent himself. And one of his uh, recommenders that he asked to, you know, write a, uh, an essay about him and, you know, to recommend him for the university, wrote about him, as a product of a confused society, he has serious complaints about the education he has had with, however, no constructive criticism to offer. <laughs> Which is great. I mean, the guy kind of, I mean, I don't know if he looks more like Jesus or Charles Manson, but right, it's, right. It's, I mean, it's... I didn't, I mean, it's a very funny, uh, that's right. I mean, one forgets that these are the photos that uh, the applicants chose. <laughs> they themselves chose, yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, some of the others, let's see. Um, uh, well, there's one, uh, you know, no brooding malaise or bitter rebellion in this man. And yeah. the guy's hair looks like Ted Koppel's. You could just, you know, lift it off and put it on a, uh, you know, a mannequin at night. Um and he's got those great horn-rimmed geek glasses. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of the, well, the the, the favorite one, I think of, uh, not of mine, I'll, I'll get to my favorites in a minute, but one of the ones that uh, so many of my friends just, just crack up at, there's a man, maybe about four pages from the back, and I, I wish listeners could, could see this, but they'll just have to uh, check out Applicant on their own is a man who is so fixated on something. It's one of those clearly staged graduation photos where they put you in the swivel chair and you're not supposed to look straight but look askew, you know, in one of those dramatic things. His eyes are so bugged out it's scary, and the only comment is, lacks focus, which is just, <laughs> which is just great. Um, uh, a couple of the others, uh, well, what about... What about some of the, you know, this is a program on social justice, and even though the book didn't necessarily have any, uh, I mean, did you did you have any social statement in mind, or was oh, it just... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Dis that... Discuss. <laughs> discuss. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, sh I should point out uh, that uh, I, I found this book in the anarchist section of uh, the St. Mark's Bookshop in New York City, if you're familiar with that bookstore. Yeah, yeah, right, and, cool. And I picked it up, and it was, it was just amazing. And I bought, I bought a whole stack of them, I should point out, and I've given them as, as, as gifts because I was kind of doing the backpacking thing on the East Coast. So right. whoever I was staying cool. with got a copy of this. But oh, it was hard to, I mean, at one point I thought, this is brilliant political commentary. I don't know if it was anarchism, but I just find it so funny that it wasn't in their humor section. So maybe right. <laughs> talk about all that. Um, well, I've, it's probably in the anarchist section because it's distributed by AK Press, which is a distributor and publisher of uh, anar mostly anarchist literature and run by anarchists in a publishing collective in Oakland, California. Um, I submitted this book to 
several publishers that completely turned me down on, on legal reasons, and it was only you know able to publish it under the uh, just the political uh, ideas of Microcosm Publishing and, and their distributor, AK Press. I mean, I was like, you know, this is a legal risk, and they were like, I don't care. <laughs> um, they were just more interested in uh, getting the material out and, you know, letting people do what they want. Um, but as for the book itself, uh, I, I think, you know, a, a large part of everything in America that's happened since the 60s is influenced by that, that time of, uh, of civil rights activism and just people's minds opening up to the kind of injustices that were going on. But you always hear all that, and you never really see any actual evidence of it. And so reading these applications, to me, drove that home. You know, like I would see one application where it was a young woman, and, and they would say, well, she's probably not going to be a good scientist because, you know, she's married and she'll have to spend all her time at home. And then, you know, the next application would be a young man who was married, and they'd be like, well, he'll be a great scientist because he's married and his wife will take care of things, so he won't have to. Well, that kind of inequality was crazy. Yeah, there's. Uh, I'm looking at one that says not as physically attractive as some, right. and of course <laughs> that that's a female. And then there's another, which, which I find very very interesting because it's almost one doesn't know is that the, her strength or is that her weakness? <laughs> because you 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 turn a few more pages and then it says weakness. It flat out says weakness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's a female and attractive. <laughs> You know, right. and therefore is bound to marry, and it's you know, so yeah, it's like we hear about the the you know stereotypes of of the '60s and '70s, but to see it on something as important as an Ivy League application is really telling. Right, right. I mean, I guess that was just standard, and there was a a place on the application to describe the applicant's physical appearance. Um, I you know I figured most they were kind of aiming at was this person well-groomed, but lots of people did, of course, mention whether or not this was a, a handsome or unattractive applicant. And uh, I, one of the the more politically incorrect ones is uh, uh, there's a photo of a black woman. Right. And the first thing it says is, Miss M is a black person. Right, as uh, you it, can it, tell by the photo. <laughs> right, which is just, you know, like warning, you know, or, or some kind of really... Uh, and then a couple of the others, uh, which I find very interesting. I mean, the one that is considered a weakness uh, is, of course, for for me at least, a strength. Um, it's a guy who I should point out looks like uh, looks like one of the mugshots from the Weather Underground, by the way. Right. But uh, it says weaknesses during his comprehensive examination at the end of his some uh, the end of his senior year. He took umbrage at a major question which was asked, and instead of answering, fired off a criticism of the question. He was failed on the exam. This may have signified some lack of emotional control. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that guy is the valedictorian because that's uh, that's what it's. Great photo of him, like smirking at the camera. <laughs> right, as I was saying, he looks he looks proud, and he kind of yeah. looks like one of the the weather the weathermen and um, and so forth. What um, what has been the reception of uh, the the book? Um, mostly pretty positive. Uh, I think people see the humor in it. I, I'm more of a humor oriented person. That um, and I think humor is a great way to get messages across. I mean, I definitely wanted to put the politics in there, but uh, yeah, everyone says it's really funny. 
One of the, the more frequent comments I've heard is uh, that it really lends itself to culture jamming. Um, what do you think about that? And maybe, you know, explain, if you can, what culture jamming is, though I'm sure listeners of this program are aware. Uh, um, you may be better at explaining what culture jamming is. I, I think just zines and independent publications are, um, you know, by nature, culture jamming, um, just getting that stuff out there. Um, I don't know. It's pretty weird to find something in the trash and present it as as a as a statement, a political statement. <laughs> I mean, that's a sideways uh, look into the world, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, certainly culture jamming is anything that would uh, cause someone to reevaluate, you know, what's accepted as mainstream culture. Right. And uh, you know, this program uh, we've had uh, Jeff Farrell on in the past, who uh, has a book titled Empire of Scrounge, where uh, he's a professor who spent a year sabbatical, uh, simply dumpster diving, and his book is his year diary of all the things that he's found. And of course, we focus on food, not bombs here, and and you know, so many other things. So certainly, that that shows uh, you know it's a new twist on culture. But I mean, like some of the photos, like the one about. Uh, you know, what is it, the woman who says, you know, domestic responsibilities may intervene. I mean, I just have fantasies of Xerox copying that in mass and just putting that all over so many different, uh, <laughs> you know, billboards for Revlon and Clairol and, and, and so right. many other things, or just posting that all over the women's studies department at the university where I work, just to remind people that these kind of evaluations still occur, you know, right. or the guy who... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry? Do those sorts of elevations still occur? I mean, that, that sort of got me wondering in reading all this. Well, I mean, that's, it's interesting because I showed this to my colleagues and it sparked so many discussions. You know, the whole idea about, you know, domestic responsibilities may intervene. Uh, we've got um, faculty still fighting for childcare on campus. Right, right. And so, so certainly one of the questions, though we're, we're not allowed to ask when we, when we bring in professors to interview, we're not allowed to ask, you know, are you married, do you have children? Or, or do you plan to have any? Or do, do you plan to have <laughs> yeah. any? You, you, you can't help but, uh, you know, look at the ring finger and see, you know, what's going on there. Or, you know, when right. they take out their wallet, if there's a whole, you know, dropping of, you know, those little photo you know, accordion <laughs> photo things, you know, you kind of want, you know, I mean, you, you, yeah. you can't help but do that. And when there's no infrastructure there to, uh, to help out. Right. Um, so just, you know, Xeroxing some of these things and, and posting them around or just seeing a photo of someone and it says lacks personal discipline. I mean, there's your labeling right there, you know. But, um, well, let's, uh, let's turn in the time we have remaining to uh, the Slow Wave comic strip. Uh, describe it, and how did that come about? Uh, boy, um, I was just trying to work on my cartooning. I'm still a cartoonist. Uh, it was the early days of me trying to figure out what I was doing, and um, I didn't really have any ideas for what stories to do, so I just asked a group of friends and family to give me a story, any story that you have, and I'll draw it. And it turned out the ones that I liked were people's dreams. Some people, you know, gave me a, a dream that they'd had. Um, and it's just kind of evolved from there. Uh, you know, I winnowed it down to the four-panel format. Uh, it's a little bit punchier, and dreams can be, you know, they can kind of drag on, so that's a good way to cinch it up. Um, and I had just 
uh, graduated college and the internet was just you know starting to become this cool thing. It was 1995, um, and I was like, well, I want to put up a website, and I just started doing this comic strip, so I'll you know I'll put it up. That's what I'll put on my website, uh, and I've been doing it for 12 years now. Um, every week, uh, just to, and once I had it up on my website, I was able to get submissions from you know all over the world, uh, so it wasn't just my friends and family. And uh, you know, no offense to them, but I got a lot better material. I just had more to, to draw from. And what um, is there an estimate of how many? I mean, how do you choose from the submissions? Is it are you only averaging one or two a week, or do you have to really sift through a lot of these? And I get about twenty or thirty a week. And if I get you know, listed on some popular website or in a magazine, then it'll spike and I'll get like 50 in one week, and that's kind of a lot to read. <laughs> I've probably read tens of thousands of dreams by now. So. And it seems that, um, I, I mean, I have to confess, I'm, I'm new to your work and I'm new to, uh, therefore, the, the, the comic strip, But uh, so we could thank the St. Mark's Bookshop for that. <laughs> but um, it seems that from the ones that are posted that I've looked at, there seems to be... S- a kind of theme of irony oh, with, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or tragedy or humiliation. What uh, What's up with that? Right, yeah. Some people have said I, I really like the humiliating turnaround. Um, I, I, th- I like narrative dreams and narrative humor, and I think if you involve some sort of narrative, you need to have sort of a dramatic turnaround. Um, but I am just naturally drawn to irony. I, I love those old... Twilight Zone episodes, but there's always some surprise ironic ending, you know, like the ugly woman is actually beautiful. Um, and I don't know, I, humiliation, I guess I should, you know, talk to a therapist about that. I, I just think that sort of, a lot of humor comes from that, self-deprecation and just seeing how things aren't exactly as wonderful as, as uh, they may be presented as. And you ask people to submit physical descriptions so that you yeah. can capture, which is is really great. Well, we're just about out of time. The uh, the book is titled Applicant. It is available uh, through AK Press, which is akpress.org. It's also at Microcosm Publishing. And uh, it's also on Amazon, I noticed. So uh, more power for that. And uh, there's also the Slow Wave uh, website, which is www.slowwave, uh, both words together. So it's slow with a W and then another W for wave.com. And uh, it's really, really great stuff. And I'm thrilled that I uh, was able to let listeners know about it. If, if anyone is a candidate for a MacArthur Fellowship, I think you are because you do really creative, crazy artistic work that uh, no one else is doing that really expands the imagination and uh, as you pointed out it's not the kind of thing that people necessarily jump at the opportunity to publish so I hope that uh, if the people from the MacArthur Fellowship are listening this is a guy you want to give a grant to so uh, Jesse Reckla thank you so much for being with us and I hope we could have you on again soon. Great thanks Jared. Thank you take care. Bye bye. And uh, we'll be back to uh, wrap up in just a moment. This is KUCI's Justice or Just Us.